This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Yes, we have changed the name of the show. If you haven't listened to our listener update episode, that was about five days ago, please do listen in there. You're going to get a sense of why we changed the name of the show. The content, luckily, is going to be the same. We're going to keep exploring best practices of AI, essentially sharing with our listeners what's possible and what's working, really for a business audience. So you're still in the right place, make no bones about it, uh, but you'll want to listen to that previous episode if you haven't already. Today, we're going to be focusing on the buying and the selling of AI. If you are someone within a big company who's considering buying AI, you're going to learn a lot of what not to do and potentially what to do in this episode. And if you are selling AI into the enterprise, you are absolutely not going to miss this episode because there's a lot of way to spin your tires without actually making traction selling into the enterprise. And there's right and wrong ways to screen enterprise buyers. And this is the episode to tune into. We speak this week with Rashida Hodge. Rashida Hodge is a VP in the insurance sector at IBM. Uh, she's leading a two to three billion dollar IBM technology portfolio across different facets of the insurance landscape, and she speaks with us about how to sell into existing enterprises, how to know who the right and applicable buyers actually are and who they aren't. And she also talks about the process of selling, while at the same time sort of helping people who are buyers map out maybe the right questions they should be thinking about or asking as they're buying AI. So no matter what side of the table you're on, this is a useful episode to listen into. If you are selling AI, I should make note, if you are a vendor, you're selling AI-related consulting, software, services into the enterprise, then be sure to download our B2B AI Lead Generation Guide. This is a seven-page PDF that we've put together for vendor companies. You can find that at emerge.com. That's E-M-E-R-J dot slash B2B1. That's the letter B, the number two, the letter B, and then the number one. So emerge.com slash B2B1. That's our B2B AI Lead Generation Guide. If you are a vendor, be sure to download that because that resource should be more than helpful uh, if you're on that side of the table. But without further ado, we're going to roll right in. This is Rashida Hodge here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Rashida, we'll kick things off by kind of going into our first question on selling AI in the enterprise, which is, in your opinion, what's the most important part of getting an appointment to sell AI. Some people are attracted to it just as a term. Some people are scared of it. What does it look like to actually get a foot in the door? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the first thing is really acknowledgement and the need and the requirement to innovate. I think, quite frankly, there's no secret. Everyone is looking, they're assessing, they're evaluating AI for their business. So certainly it's a strategic priority, but how to implement it, when to implement it, and how to scale it is really the area of focus for many enterprises. So when we have that first conversation, that first appointment, you know, I would say there's there's no singular starting point for any technology journey and including AI. You know, where to begin really depends on the company's structure, their needs, their specific business problems that quite frankly, they're trying to solve. And I think that's really critical when we look at AI, because a lot of times we tend to focus on the technology instead of what we're trying to transform. What are we trying to improve? MIT did the study where they said, look, about 
almost 50% of high performing companies are piloting, implementing, or operating AI solutions. But we're actually seeing adoption of less than 14%. Oh, actually, yeah. Gartner did a study, you know, around that. So people yeah. are excited about it, but we're seeing that less adoption. And and I think when enterprises think of AI from a transformative lens versus the technology, that's when we have beauty because the beauty of really leveraging AI for transformation is the fact that you're looking at how to solve a problem differently. You're looking at how do you transform them as you move forward. So there's this recognition that, look, AI is, it's more of a journey. It's less than a destination. And that is something that I emphasize all the time in first encounters with enterprises, because a lot of times when you think about technology, you think about zeros and ones, and you think about software testing, and AI is very different. It's really that intersection of the technology, but also the business user, the professional that it's interacting with. And then, oh, by the way, the business process that you will transform. Yeah. So, okay. So you believe that being frank about this longer term picture is important. And I think maybe one of the reasons startups don't do it is because that's scary as all hell to most enterprises that are used to like, okay, I'm talking to a vendor. I'm going to plug it in. AI is obviously not like that. How do you sort of bring it up, but not scare them? I think how you bring it up is really emphasizing the business benefit that has been realized. So I think a lot of companies, you know, has started to leverage the technology. The technology is much more consumable. And that's why I always say to start with something, right? MVP your way to scale, because when you start using the technology, you have an understanding of how the technology works. You realize that, oh, by the way, it's not scary, um, you know, at all, but oh, by the way, it will provide significant benefit to my organization. Okay. So framing it in that way, hopefully in a way that doesn't spook them in knowing everything that it has to kind of go along with. So I guess that's, that's sort of getting the foot in the door. Anything else when it comes to those first encounters, the things that make AI different, some of it might be the same, same as selling something that's not AI at all. Anything else that makes that first encounter different, that first conversation with a potential buyer, a little different when we're talking about AI in the enterprise. Well, I think with AI, I think with AI, it's a technology where it's an and versus an or. So it's really about the technology fitting and really helping your business user, your business professional be able to do things that they couldn't imagine or do things that it would take them thousands or millions of hours to do. So you're really scaling your best expert, if you will, with AI technologies. And a lot of times when enterprises see that, they say, wow, I see the power, right? This is not about a replacement of someone or replacement of a particular job. This is really enhancing, scaling, accelerating the outcomes I'm able to generate for my business and for my users that I interact with. Got it. Okay. So that might be an important initial frame as well. Do you find that that often is a hurdle? You know, you're kind of bringing this up overtly that, Hey, this isn't about automation. It's about augmenting. It's about adding. I mean, obviously any vendor, right? IBM included has to have that as part of their drum roll when they're talking about AI, because nobody wants to be the bad guy. Although, you know, sometimes AI will be about replacing straight up and down. That will be the case, but you know, it doesn't always have to be. And certainly won't be in many cases. Are many people afraid of that? In other words, they go in saying, hey, we're kind of interested in the solution, but we don't want to replace people. Like, do do you see that as something that you have to kind of address almost as a concern? Because you brought it up now, and I guess I'm just curious. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's what people think. People think that um, it will replace my job. You know, I will no longer be in this job because of AI. Look, uh, AI yeah. is a fascinating technology, but from an IBM perspective, and I've been implementing, you know, hundreds of these AI applications across multiple different industries, it is truly about augmenting expertise. And, you know, it's not magic. Now we can give you magical results, but it's not magic. These are learning systems. And again, they are not magical. These are learning systems where, you know, together you train, you input information, you perfect the process so that you can scale and derive business insights from your application to reinvent, you know, bring powerful new experiences, you know, to the table. Yeah. And curious that you're seeing that even amongst the folks that are buyers, I would suspect the kind of ground level workers, the folks on the line, if you will, to be the folks who might be the most spooked that, oh, goodness, this is going to sort of shake me out of my position. But it sounds like you're even seeing that to some degree among the, you know, functional business leaders that are buying this stuff and fraud and marketing and whatever, these kind of slightly higher up people, they also have that concern or is it more for the people that they manage? No, it's everyone. I think it's still a technology Mm. that individuals are really trying to understand. So I think people see the power of the technology, but more people need to see the technology in practice and more people need to see and, you know, interact with it on an ongoing basis. And I tend to use the example of, you know, I say this all the time that think about AI as a new IT, right? If you go back, let's say 50, 60 years ago, you remember there wasn't even a role called the CIO. Right. But given just the advent of IT and infrastructure, now we proceed as if these things are mainstays. But new roles were created, new organizations were created, totally new companies you know, were born based on the creation of IT. So my belief is that AI will have that same level of impact. It's going to create new jobs, new roles and new departments as we move forward. And I think that's the way, that's the level of impact that AI is going to have. And that's what is important for people to realize. I think right now, most people still consider it an interesting project, something that I want to learn, something that the innovation team is supporting. And just like IT is, it's going to be very fundamental, embedded and ingrained in our business processes. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. AI as the new IT, I think probably is the right frame. I totally agree with you. More business people actually have to see it in action so that it isn't a, you know, a boogeyman of automation or, or, or even just thinking about it only as automation is quite limiting. Next question here, just, just, uh, keeping us flowing is around proof of concepts. You know, IBM is obviously very large firm working at the intersection of AI and the enterprise, a very tough intersection, but in so many different sectors, when you think about what makes for a a proof of concept that actually has a chance of succeeding, you talked about 14% of them succeeding, which by the way, doesn't surprise me, but you talked about 14% of them succeeding. What does it take as someone who's kind of selling these solutions to make sure that the POC we set up is orchestrated in such a way that we got a chance to keep going, not a chance to just become another project for the bin. (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, So a couple of things. One is don't forget the why. Do not forget the why, because that is really important with a technology like AI, right? So in my perspective, you know, the approach should always tie back to why and what business value you are trying to drive, 
right? Because improving business outcomes with AI really requires an end-to-end wide, you know, approach from an enterprise perspective. So if everyone that's involved in the POC, everyone involved in the process doesn't have clarity about why you're doing it, you're not going to go very far. That's number one. The other thing I say is, okay, guys, let's not play technology tourism, right? And what I mean by that is don't just visit, plan to stay. So if it doesn't scale or your proof of technology or concept is not built in a way where it is going to scale and it's just an interesting project, that means the proof of concept will also just be an interesting project, okay? So, you know, it's really important to really understand that you can get significant exponential benefit by implementing, assessing, and evaluating things in incremental sprints, right? Whether you call that, you know, an MVP in terms of minimum viable approach or it's agile. Every day I hear people say, oh, I do agile or I am agile. Okay, sounds great. But, you know, quite simply, a lot of organizations are challenged a bit, you know, with this, just, you know, working in an agile fashion where you have tons of technology, tons of technology that's been there for decades. So, you know, when you come in to then POC an AI project, like you really have to, you know, look at things with a clean slate. And as an AI partner, you know, it's really critical to really push to make sure that you say, okay, I know that you want to use AI, but let's peel the onion back. Why are you doing it? Right? How do we need to think about this as a process that you will be using forever and not just be using for a particular time? And you know, one of the other things with proof of concepts, I always say is, you know, when a proof of concept for AI, a lot of times people say, Oh, I want to, what's your measure of success? And they say, I want to assess accuracy. Right. And I said, a proof of concept for AI should not be about accuracy. It should actually be about usefulness. Because think about any search engine that we use today. We don't look about, look for it in terms of accuracy. We say, wow, my results were incredibly useful. And that's the lens that we should be looking at proof of concepts for AI. You used a really interesting term, which was technology tourism. Talk maybe a little bit about what that dynamic is within the enterprise and also how smart sellers and maybe even buyers themselves that they're listening in should should think about sort of bypassing that mindset. So what is it first and then how do we handle it? Yeah. So for me, when I think about technology tourism is there's so much now where technology is very consumable. Right. So um, if you look at just how technology has changed over the last you know, decade or so, anyone can touch it. I, a lot of technology is accessible via APIs. So I can you know, go in there. I can test this out. I want to be able to see how it works. You have a lot of that that has taken place you know, from an enterprise perspective. And so a lot of times when people say I am assessing or I'm evaluating a technology, that's what they've done. And they've done it on the side. It's outside of the actual business process. It's outside of you know, let's call it how I would, you know, implement a production oriented, you know, process for a user. So I always say is that that's not how you want to think about innovation. And that's not how you want to think about AI, right? Because you want, again, again, with AI, I say it's an and versus an or, it's the the technology plus the process. It is the technology plus the business user. So if you're only focused on the technology, if you're only sort of playing around and you're not 
including embedding, you know, interacting the technology in the environment that it will work when in real life with the real user, you know, you're just having a visit and leaving. You're testing it out. um, You're dip and dabbling a little bit, but you're not really there to stay, right? Because you've got to be able to realize those benefits in the real world, in the real interaction with the person where the data is going to be surfaced, right? With the person, once the data is surfaced, then makes a decision thereafter. And, you know, of course, a project often has to start in a sandbox. You know, if I'm going to build a recommendation engine, I'm probably not going to hurl it in front of all my users. Certainly, if I'm going to build a, you know, a medical diagnostic technology, I'm not going to hurl it at my users either. So things have to maybe begin often in a sandbox, but there's certain are sandbox projects that are being done for that own sake, which is maybe what you mean by tourism, versus uh, projects that have a real roadmap, a real runway to potentially, should they work out okay, make their way into the actual business. So how do you rectify that? You you don't want it to just be a sandbox, but often you kind of have to start there. Do you think about that differently? I mean, yeah, but think about it. I remember I lived in, you know, Slovakia for four years, but before I, I went there to live, I visited, right? And I got a perspective and interaction, but oh, by the way, when I lived there, right? I mean, I was embedded into that community. I learned about the culture and I learned how to, I had survival Slovak skills to be able to (laughs) survive and to be able to embed myself within that environment. You've got to look at it the exact same way. If you just kind of touch on the surface or you just do a sandbox that doesn't include, there's nothing wrong with doing a sandbox or testing things out. That's the purpose of a proof of concept, but it has to be in the perspective of the real world, right? Like you're going to be here to stay. You're not just going to visit. We're not on a cruise ship, right? We're there for eight hours and we're going to leave. You want to really make sure that you're building and implementing and assessing the technology in the most purest and realest environment there is possible. And that is, that could be peeling apart the process or, you know, just using a select, you know, amount of users. But I think it's really important to make sure that there's an understanding um, when you're doing that assessment of, we want this to stay. So let's think about this from the perspective of scale, but we're going to MVP our way to scale. Yeah. So acknowledging that you can get power and new experiences and transformations by taking small steps, but those small steps need to be integrated. It needs to be realistic. It needs to be an and, not an or. Yeah. So final question, I'll close out on this because I think you're really touching on something very important here, which is that if you're, particularly if you're someone who's selling AI, you really don't want to spend your time with tourism projects. I mean, it's not good for your time. And and if you're a buyer, oftentimes if you're doing it just for tourism and you're not even considering what integration would look like, you're not even learning the important lessons. So I think both camps can learn here. What do you use as a barometer, as a detector to know if this is a tourism project or a real project? When someone is doing it to stay, as you've said, what are the signs? What are the signals? What do you look for? So I think that, you know, first of all, I say, okay, are we primarily focused on the technology or not? Like, you know, if I'm in a meeting with a client and we're only talking about the technology and not focused on what problem we're trying to solve, that's a cue for me, right? And then I said, okay, let's take a step back to really focus on my earlier point, what is the why? Um, because that's critical. When I look at for all the AI projects that I've did, sort of there's say about three things that come out, right? When I see projects that maybe don't 
get off the ground or, you know, stay on the shelf and collect dust. You know, one is, is the organization actually ready to implement a project like AI? Because remember, I told you it's not about the CIO team or just the technology group. This is actually a marriage between the technology group and the business functions working together to say, okay, how do I augment this business process? How do I augment this user interaction to transform you know, my business. So one, making sure as an organization, you're actually ready for that culturally, as well as, you know, integrating in the process is critical. The second is data. Um, We didn't talk about that much here, but that is so important. I mean, at the end of the day, data is critical to any AI project. If you don't have it, you can't do much. If you've got garbage in, it yields garbage out. So data feeds any AI solution. So ensuring that you are aware of your data, you know where it is, you also have the right data to solve the problem is critical. So if I go into a client and they don't know where that data is, you know, they don't know how that data is going to surface. They don't know how to integrate that data for the solution. You know, we go back and I say, guys, that's step one. I like to, we like to call it the AI ladder, right? And that first pillar of that AI ladder is data readiness because these AI solutions are rich with the amount of information that is, you know, absolutely critical. And then the third is value readiness. Um, so really tied back to my first point around organizational readiness and the why, what is the problem that we are solving for? I mean, we're in a time where AI sounds really sexy. It sounds really cool. And I get it because it's one of the, been at IBM for 17 years. And one of the first times in my career where I go home for the holidays and I say to my, my family that I work in Watson and I don't have to say anything else. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's sexy, but we've got to make sure that we are solving for something because if at the end of the day, businesses are not and stakeholders are not seeing real outcome and benefit from these applications, that's when we're not going to see large scale adoption. All right. I really like your ending point here. I'm going to try to put a cap on this. And it is uh, that with AI, sex doesn't sell it might just get attention. And so you need a lot of other factors to make sure that that sizzle is actually going to yield to an adoption that that is real business. Let me know if you're, you're cool with that frame. I will doesn't sell part, but I will definitely <laughs> say that, you know, AI. For AI, AI for AI, AI anyway. For very AI. sexy these days. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure is. It sure is. I think it, it definitely, I will say this much, from what you're articulating and what we've heard for oodles of vendors, there's the possibility of the sizzle carrying to tourism, not the sizzle carrying to integration. And I think today you've shed a lot of great light on how to make sure that we're really on a roadmap that's going to lead somewhere. And I think this should be a call that both for buyers and sellers will be tremendously useful. So I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us for this episode of AI and Industry. Sounds great. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode in the AI and Business Podcast. You'll want to make sure you're tuned in for next week because we interview the head of AI at one of the most popular payments startups in the world, and that is Square. Many of you have already paid for something through Square's various devices, whether it's a cafe or a street vendor or what have you. Square is one of Jack Dorsey's uh, investments. He's leading that firm in addition to leading and founding Twitter. And Square is doing some really interesting things with artificial intelligence when it comes to staying ahead of the competition. So if you want to hear from Square's head of AI next week, be sure to stay tuned in here next Tuesday, and I'll catch you here on AI and Business.